This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to episode 38 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking all like a checkerboard in his gingham, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Way over there in Cambridgeshire, smiling and beaming and shining like the sun itself, <laughs> we have Thor Maria Sophia Friedrichsson. Do I think we're a bit giddy because we actually got the chance to see each other, which has been a delight. Um, We did a little bit of filming at East Ruston. So if you haven't been to see Alan's spring fling, walking his way through some of his seasonal favourites in the garden at the moment, many of them deliciously scented, which obviously it's not smell-o-vision, but you can still appreciate, um, I think, from Alan's description, how deliciously sweet-smelling they are. Uh, We'll put a link up so you can go and uh, enjoy that alongside the podcast. But onwards with the podcast, someone I'm pretty desperate to see, actually, and haven't seen for months, is the wonderful Bridget Girling. She is back of Moss and Stone Floral Design. What she can't do with flowers ain't worth doing. Also, (laughs) since we last talked, a podcaster in your own right, hosting your own podcast every week, Bridget. Yeah, that was a bit of a baptism of fire. You know, you have, well, you do know, I know, you know, you both know, you have a little crazy notion and then you just think, what's the worst that can happen? And it's uh, for, you know, for botanically minded people, while your guests each week aren't necessarily all gardening, you're, there are three hosts and you are all very botanically minded. We are, we're all floral designers, artists, whatever we want to call ourselves. (laughs) And uh, we've obviously come together through our love of flower arranging and making beautiful things with flowers and we also we're good friends and actually through last year we chatted almost every single week just as a sort of prop to keep us going through lockdown and it was as I say on New Year's Day when we were having a few drinks that we thought well we're so entertaining (laughs) we we make our make ourselves laugh so much we really should do a podcast (laughs) and before you know it within a month we've put our first episode out and you've joined us too Thordis yeah yeah they got I want want to say something who was that woman that misses something or other the comedian woman do you remember she used to ask awkward questions I do Merton yes Mrs Mrs. Merton are you not saying I'm Mrs Merton no I'm saying I am listen (laughs) Mrs. Merton here, Bridget. Can you tell me what exactly is it you can do with a stone? <laughs> if horticulture doesn't work out for you, maybe you could uh, go down the impressionist route. <laughs> um, but talking, I mean, talking of diversifying, Bridget, um, the podcast has been going an absolute storm. I assume you are all enjoying it, even though they are, as we all know, quite a lot of work. They are quite a lot of work. And in fact, if you did know that beforehand, you probably wouldn't do it. But it's just true of so many things, isn't it? But um, it it, just kind of learning what, in fact, as you know, I spoke to you and said, what do you think? And you just went, yeah, just do it, just do it. Um, And I think that's the right advice because 
you have to learn while you're doing it. And if you wait for perfection, you'll never do it. So um, <laughs> you don't want, can I just say you don't want perfection. Nobody wants perfection because that, I mean, it, it's that's boring. Yeah, it's, it's really boring. boring. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And I mean, people love, love it when we fall on our face and we make an idiot of ourselves occasionally, which everybody does that I know. Um, I mean, you know, we're not all Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, are we? <laughs> Oh, we've had some wonderful things. Our very first guest, um, she was hugely pregnant and uh, not that this was relevant. Well, it kind of was relevant, but towards the end, she suddenly went, oh, that's my doorbell. And we went, oh, go and get it. She said, I am expecting a parcel. So she came back with her parcel and we said, what is it? And she said, I think it's a nursing bra. <laughs> <laughs> we kept it in. <laughs> You know, dogs woofing and cats fighting and doorbells ringing. You kind of just think it's part and parcel of life. So yeah. it's good to have it yeah, in there. Indeed. And there's a good <laughs> parallel, I think, to gardening with um, not necessarily always seeking perfection. I thought it was really mm. interesting coming to see Alan's garden that I just every corner I turned, I was saying, oh, look at this combination. Oh, wow, this is amazing. And I got the feeling, and I might be wrong, but I got the feeling that before I'd come, Alan, you were, I don't know, having that thing we all have with our gardens where we think, oh, I wish this had gone better. And I wish there, this was growing here. And I don't know, that, that kind of feeling we always have that it's not quite gone the way we wanted. Absolutely. I mean, it never does go exactly the way you want it, however clever you are. Um, but then that's all part of the fun of it, isn't it? I mean, I'll give you a little instance um, immediately because I suddenly I was talking to, to Richard about the podcast that we made and he said, well, I'm going to look at it tonight. That was last night. So Richard, who's, you know, Sluton, um, he's plant supplier and all the rest of it. And he said, you know, the only thing about your perfume corridor is the fact that you've planted Edgeworthia there and they are going to get huge. You realise that in 10 years' time, you're going to be walking underneath them. And I said, well, I admire your optimism, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they're going to be completely out of scale. And then the other bits of me think, yes, but how romantic is that to be able to walk beneath this wonderful scented canopy? And I mean, you've got to manipulate it. You've got to, you know, get your secretaires out, get your pruning saws out and make your garden do what you want it to do within reason. <laughs> Can we just talk about Edgeworthias for a moment? Because my mum uh, sent me a little voice message and she said, what was that plant? The one with the little kind of pom-pom baubles, um, yeah. the flowers. And, um, and I, I obviously said it was an Edgeworthia. But we only shot the yellowy one and you've got some others. You've certainly got a kind of orangey one somewhere else. And I don't know if you can remember the variety of it, but oh, I want that in my life. I saw one of those on Instagram the other day and thought, oh, I didn't know they came in that colour. Worthy of Chrysantha Red Dragon. It's very, very difficult to find. I bought um, a whole load in from a Dutchman because they were difficult to find a couple of years ago and they all died. I mean, nothing I could do about it. It's the way they've been grown or whatever, I don't know. Richard had some who, who uh, I just mentioned a little while ago and that's where my Red Dragon came from. And um, unfortunately he doesn't have any more until today when he found a couple of rather straggly specimens. And when I spoke to him this morning, I said, how much are those straggly specimens? And he said, well, I've had them an awful long time. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they'll be, they'll be a good price for you. And I said, we'll put them on my next order then, please. <laughs> so I have main, and literally, I mean, this, the horticultural industry is almost at a standstill. And every single website you go on, you know, unusual demand, 
extra mm. time on your order, which is absolutely reasonable, but you get the feeling it's sort of the perfect storm or the imperfect mm. storm of... Uh, well, of... This morning with um, a Ceanothus, we have um, a big Ceanothus in and around the desert in, in the garden here. One had died, so we took that out and, and we wanted others to fill spaces where the big eucalyptus were taken down. Um, and it's called um, uh, Ceanothus arborescence trewithin blue. Well, arborescence tells you immediately that it's arborea, mean tree-like, um, that is a biggie. Um, and nobody's got any. Um, and so, until I found Bernkus, um in Cornwall, the nursery down in Cornwall, they had three, so I, I bought, the, but bought those um, so that we can carry on. But they're only tiddly plants. You can't buy a, a decent one. You know, quite often if you go to nurseries and you say, I don't want the smallest one. I'm prepared to pay more money than that. What can I, what can you do size wise? And quite often you'll spend, you can spend maybe in excess of a hundred pounds on a big plant if you so desire it um, quite easily. Um, but they've got none, none on sale. So, mm. you know, take it or leave it. I'm going to ask a very indelicate question. What's the mm. most money you've spent on a plant, Bridget? Gosh. And how far away is your husband at this moment? <laughs> and is he going to listen to the podcast? <laughs> oh, he might. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> it, it isn't anywhere near as frightening as Alan was just suggesting it could be. That's good. However, I do think it isn't uncommon or hasn't been uncommon for me to be spending in the region of 30, 40, 50 pounds on a plant, if I absolutely have to have it and I've wanted it and I haven't really seen it before. And they're usually the ones that die, of course, because <laughs> it's going to be a little bit too big and needs a little bit too much nurturing. Well, isn't this always the thing? It's like I was sowing, um, we, one of our earlier podcasts, we were talking to Derry Watkins about Lord Anson's pea that little atheris that I wanted to grow beautiful little blue pea and um and so I've got the seed of it mine's germinated <gasps> <Good line. laughs> well, I've been trying really hard to not sow mine so I've only just put it in and I did the soaking because I don't know about you but my seed packet said soak it first so I soaked it and um but I don't know about you but mine had eight seeds in the packet which oh, yeah, mine had similar which I always feel very They're frightened. tiny as well, though, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, tiny little pea. Yes, shall, yeah. shall we just, uh, while we're on the subject of Lord Anson's pea, Lathrus nervosus, shall we just say that um, one of the ways of growing it is to give it the sharpest of drainage that you possibly can. I mean, I've grown it here in the garden for several, um, several seasons. It's short-lived, to say the least. But I'm going to try it in the desert where all the, where we have all the gravel and the shingle and the very sharp drainage this year, because apparently that's what it needs to get it through the winter. It will stand the cold, but it won't stand the wet. So I think that's something I'm trying this year anyway. Oh, that's a very good top tip. Thank goodness I'm here. <laughs> Just before they go out into the garden. <laughs> I've had good advice from Alan. <laughs> what the podcast is all about. Yes, absolutely. Can I turn the tables and ask what is your most expensive plant? I was worried that you would ask that because I... I <laughs> I'll tell you mine while you're thinking about it, if you wish. Go for it. All right. 30 years ago, I spent the incredible sum of £250, and God knows what that's worth today, on a single tree fern. And this single tree fern came from 
um, a very smart nursery down in the south of England somewhere, Dorsetshire, I think. And um, we put it in the garden. We did everything we said that, you know, they said you had to do to nurture a tree fern. And it's still there today. It's grown quite a few inches, if not a foot and more. And every year we used to wrap this thing up because it cost us so much money. Every, every spring we would unwrap it thinking, we were, are we going to find a horrible, smelly, wet, sludgy mess? We never did. Uh, we used to wrap it every year. Now I don't wrap it at all. Um, it's been joined by others, but of course, of course, because since then tree ferns have come way down in price. Grey, eat your heart out. <laughs> um, but it was that one tree fern, and we had it in the eastern side of the count of the country, probably long before lots of other people did. And then, I mean, when tree ferns suddenly became popular, people were frightened to buy them because even though they were probably 100, 150 pounds, it's still a lot of money to watch turn to rubbish in the winter, in our winters. Um, and so at the end of the first year of them becoming more popular, I went to a very well-known nursery in Norfolk and I said, haven't sold those throughout the summer, have you? <laughs> what are you going to do with them over the winter? I could offer you a job lot, a price for the job, you know, for the lot. I'll do yeah. you a favour. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I was. And the antique dealer's hat came out, you know. Well, you don't want all that money you're going to pay heating a greenhouse. Put those anyway, I think I got seven for less than the cost of 250 pounds. That's how the price changed. That was big. <laughs> then there you are. It just shows, doesn't it? But that first one, I bet you love that first one. <laughs> I've been trying to think over this expensive plant thing. And I, I think I've, I've probably killed a lot of the more expensive plants I've ever had. But most recently, I think it's house plants where I've spent the most money. And part, that is in part because people like Alan have been very generous and gifted me quite a lot of lovely things. Um, so I have numerous things in my garden that probably would have cost me money, but actually they have been loving gifts. But in my house, I have lots of plants that I'm not even very good at the names of, various dracaenas and things. And they always, if you want that kind of impact in the corner of the room, they do tend to be sort of 30, 40, 50 pounds. So that's probably where a lot of my money is gone. When I look at my bank account and it's a smaller number than it should be, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> But then you you know you can spend a lot of money on a Christmas tree and that's for two or three weeks a year and it's so why not on a house plant that hopefully you're going to keep alive for a long long time it is amazing how we justify these things but the thing yes. is I have I have killed a few house plants but most of them are still here so it proves that if you if you feel the pressure if you bring a plant in and your other half says how much did that cost and you say 30 40 pounds and therefore they're judging you every day on whether it's looking healthy or not it's amazing how in that incentivizes you <laughs> well one of the things i've been doing this morning is is in actual fact hardening my heart because border along it's a narrow border on the south front of our house one of the most sheltered in the garden and it's what i call a risky border because you know old conservative plants get dumped there well not dumped but i mean they get put there to grow and some of them survive and some of them don't um and this year i left a brugmansia out which unfortunately died um I, i've left um sparmania africana the um, african hemp i've left that outside it's alive but the stump is all dead but for the stump and i thought shall i leave it and i thought no you've got one in the greenhouse to replace it a much better plant get rid. So I've been clearing all those things out. So I have actually been hardening my heart because a lot of the plants that I grow along there, various salvies and things have been severely damaged on the top and they will come back from the base. 
but I do have replacements. So I'm lucky in that respect because a little forethought and, and, you know, a few cuttings last year and I've got plants to replace them just in case such things happens. And it gives me a chance to refresh the soil and to change the composition and, and my mind and, and really go to town. So yeah, that's <laughs> what I've been doing. Was that because of the frosts we've just had? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was the frost that we had were accompanied by that high wind, I think, mm. where the wind came in from the northeast. That was the cruel thing, mm. um, and it was like, almost like a wind frost. Um, and it just it, if too much of the top growth gets destroyed, you know what's the point? Can I ask? And seeing as this is ask Alan Gray the answers to your gardening conundrums, um, I my I have a really lovely erysimum, a perennial wallflower that I got from Richard Hobbs, and I can't remember the name of it, but I'll um, I'll put it on screen on the video version of the podcast. And it got horribly frosted, and I think only a few stems are still alive. And I, because I don't have much room, I hadn't taken cuttings or you know tried to preempt the bad weather. So those few stems, can I try and take cuttings of it now as a sort of insurance? <laughs> because I don't want. To entirely but it really does look like it's on its last legs well knowing that what the kind of equipment that you have i would say we'll try and wait for a little bit if you can i would put some some form of cloche over the top of it just to protect those few green stems that you've got left i mean even a large bottle cut in half and pushed into the ground with a few sticks around it to hold it in place and get it gets blown off um to like a mini greenhouse to actually encourage those shoots and wait until those shoots about a couple of inches long if you can or at least an inch and a half thought is i know what you like <laughs> and then try and take a few cuttings but it is it is difficult for people like yourself who haven't got an awful lot of room i mean i've got lots of room so i mean yeah. I, I, well I just do a tray of cuttings as an insurance you know um, and that's what we do. But again, you've got to think of doing it and you've got to think to do it in the right time scale and everything else so that it fits in with what you're doing. Mm. But I think I would try and save it. Yeah, I want to. It was, it's a beautiful plant. But, um, you know, we live within our means, sort of. Mm. <laughs> we try. <laughs> Interesting. I was, I was thinking about erysimums this morning, perennial wallflowers, because, I mean, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I suppose, until 2020 odd years ago that you ever saw a perennial wallflower in anybody's garden except for bowls mauve and they were usually big plants in front of shall we say romantic stately homes and and that that's smart gardens in actual fact the national trust grew an awful lot of them in those days um but suddenly because of the climate change and global warming we are able to grow a greater variety of those but it, it is interesting because there's there was one in the gardens of st giles church in norwich and i deliberately used to walk through this churchyard just to look at it because it was such a fabulous thing and i think it was one that was called jacob's coat so you can tell it had many colors on it from oranges to bright reds to purples and the flowers faded in and out of these various hues and i walked through the other day and it's completely gone mm. So that horrible cold spell actually killed it. Um, and, you know, this is what happens when we garden the way we do. It's exciting. Don't get me wrong. It's terribly exciting. I mean, I love it. But it can be actually full of disappointment as well. Um, but, you know, for every one that you lose, let's hope with a great, by the grace of God that, that we have three that live. <laughs> or you can just go and spend some more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. 
let's hope we've all been saving up over the last year. Now, Bridget, I know, talking of, you know, all kinds of exciting things going on in the garden, I know that somewhere squirreled around your screen, you have some show and tell, and you have set the bar high in the past with your show and tell. So we come to expect wonderful things of you. So what oh, dear. <laughs> well of course I'm going to now hedge my bets and go well it's April and it's been terrible weather and we're very behind I actually in all seriousness I think we are a good two or three oh, weeks behind last year anyway <laughs> right here yep. we go Ooh. here's my little show and tell <laughs> so <laughs> oh you've got some real beauties in there and anybody who follows your Instagram will know to expect beauties from you because your spring displays have been exquisite Bridget Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I do try. I think through the winter, the thing that really keeps me alive, <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But the thing that keeps me really happy and going out there to look at what's happening all of the time are the hellebores. They're just, I mean, a garden in winter without hellebores just feels like it's not really a garden. Um, and actually, when we moved to this house 20 years ago, there were no hellebores. So I'm really rather proud of the fact that all of the hellebores I put in the garden and their expensive plants yes. are there by me. But fortunately, they're starting to make little babies, which is wonderful. And it seems to have taken forever. And in fact, I think it was I think it was you, Alan, that said to me earlier on this year, or maybe it was passed on via Thordis, because so I found some babies on the bed and I said, should I lift them and pop them up or just leave them? And it was suggested that if I could do that to just leave them in the ground, because they're quite uh, tricksy little so-and-sos, aren't they, seedlings? So they're there and I've just got to remember they're there. But I've definitely had some that have actually matured and made flowers as well, which I'm really excited about. You know, when you just think, I know I did not put you there. You were, I did not put a hellebore there because I wouldn't have done. And then you find this most beautiful thing. So I love those. So. Don't even ask me what this is, because I won't know, because puppies and just not being very good at labelling things. But I mean, oh. can you, you just can't go wrong, can you, with that? No. Just so beautiful. Bridget, and as a, as a floral artist, can you tell us um, and the audience how you condition your um, um, hellebores to remain um, so turgid? Because yes, I can. <laughs> I'm sure you have a knack. You have it written all over your face. <laughs> yes, it's a very special technique. <laughs> well, funnily enough, it's one of those questions that I do get asked an awful lot, obviously, this time of year as well. And people have all sorts of tips that um, work for them or they use, but they, they seem to all be around the same idea, and that is keeping them very well hydrated. But what I do is I pick them and I put them straight into water when I'm picking them. Even though it's winter, you think, well, I can pick it and I can wander about the garden, pick a few more things. Hellebores I pick and put straight into water. And then I come in and I put the kettle on, not for a cup of tea, <laughs> but I boil the kettle. I don't let the hellebores see what I'm doing. <laughs> and I pour about an inch of boiling water into a mug freshly snip the ends and plunge them into the water for 10, 12 seconds. I sort of look out of the window and try to pretend I'm not torturing the hellebore. And in the meantime, I've got um, a jug full of water so they can sit virtually up to their necks in water. So they get 12 seconds in boiling water and then straight into the cold water. 
and they stay in the cold water overnight before I use them. And I don't know if you can see on here, you, you get this <laughs> sort of bleached look that goes on on the stem. It's and if I... Scalding. Yes, <laughs> scalding. Yes, poor little thing. <laughs> but it does mean that they're pretty indestructible then. However, I forgot to mention, don't even bother to try that method if the plant hasn't been pollinated and isn't forming a seed pod. Because if you try to pick it before a flower, at least one flower on the plant has been pollinated, it doesn't matter what you do, it's very likely to just look lovely for an hour or two and then sort of drizzle into a wet, soupy mess on the table. <laughs> Well, the same, the same thing if you leave the flowers on and once they've made the seed pod and it's very, especially with the single ones, it's very easy to see this seed pod in the middle mm. and you can pick them then and they last terribly well because the, whatever petals, yes, you can, you I mean, they're not really there, petals, look. they're like sepals, aren't they? they're bracteos, you see. I mean, the yes. texture of those so-called, we would say petals looking at them, but they're not petals. The, the texture of those is quite stiff and and. Mm. Um, hard and I think it's because they are bracteos they have a texture of a leaf they do last exceedingly well they do it's amazing once they get to this stage you can expect yeah. to get not from all varieties the more fancy varieties are a little bit more tricksy but that you can get two or three weeks out of them as a floral artist do you grow up um, a primula called primula francisca no, but you're going to tell me I need it, aren't you? Yeah, I am really, because I think it'd be rather nice for you. But it's a green flower, polyanthus. Um, and it was discovered by Frances, whatever her name is, um, in Canada um, many, many years ago. And, and it was growing in Canada. And we all have it in our gardens today. Um, if I see you in the very near future, I shall nick one from my plant stand, which is for sale, and give it to you as a present, because it's just so lovely. Right, I'm coming up to Norfolk tomorrow. <laughs> The green, the green petals are not petals, they're Bracteos petals, so they last exceedingly long, long in, in flower. And it has a lovely little bright yellow eye, and it's scented too, and it's just a lovely thing for mixing oh, in a posy. Um, I, think, I think you would like it. Prim Primula Francisca. It, it really flowers know. last until July. I think, I mean, plants like that, you, you, if you, especially if you're short of space, a plant like a hellebore or that one you've just described, that you can actually get four five six months worth of of beauty out of you can't go wrong can you you really can't uh, well i think it's a fundamental thought to have in your mind whether you're gardening for cut flowers whether you're gardening for pleasure or whatever you're doing really because if you think there's an old lady who lived along the coast from me and she said i aim to get three seasons from one plot of ground and that means that you've got probably early spring bulbs then you've got a perennial and then you've got annuals dotted around that and you get three seasons of flower which means that you know for the greater part of the year your garden's got flowers in it mm. and she said I said what about winter and she said well, we don't have winters anymore really do we <laughs> <laughs> I mean it can prove us wrong we just had a quite a winter spell just just now um, and it's quite cold today I have to say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Bridget, we've had one absolutely wonderful hellebore. What have you got next? What have I got next? Well, I thought I'd show you something which I've nurtured. This is its second season, butterfly ranunculus. Oh, oh aren't they lovely? Oh, they are really lovely. And you can see that they are part of the ranunculus family. They actually look more like buttercups than 
ordinary ranunculus really yeah but yeah. they are just gorgeous and um they <laughs> these were quite expensive i think for little corms in fact, I don't even know why I'm saying I think. I know what I spent. It was £36 per corm or something ridiculous. I know. <laughs> you asked me. This might this. be why I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably cheaper now, but I think they were probably only developed maybe in the last 10 years. I'm not exactly sure, but I know they only came into the, onto the cut flower market probably seven or eight years ago, and they came from the Far East where they were developed, I think. Um and I don't know that m many people here, well, I don't think they had a license here for ages. And then I saw Sarah Raven, of course, had some, and I thought, well, I just have to have some. I, do I don't care what it costs. So I bit the bullet and I bought some, and I think I bought six. <laughs> God, I just can't believe I'm confessing this. I bought six. It's all right, my child, you're amongst friends. <laughs> oh, thank you. I bought six, four died. But I've still got two and, I, and they flowered last year and I've kept them in pots because I really wasn't sure what I needed to do with them. So I wanted to be able to just manhandle them around the garden, put them in safe places. Four obviously didn't make it, but two have made it. And the last two, I was getting a bit gung ho this winter. I just thought pff, 36 pounds between friends per corn. It's nothing. So I had them by the uh, in front of my kitchen window on a south facing wall all winter. And it's quite sheltered because it's in a little courtyard. And look, they've survived. And in fact, I've now had to move them into the shade because it's too hot. For, well, I've now had to move them into somewhere frost protective. Now they're in flower. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping that I'll keep them going till next year as well. I might even treat myself to some more because I think there's more varieties out there now as well. And I'm sure it's not just Sarah Raven who has them. But um, And hopefully they're not £36. Hopefully. I mean, last year I didn't buy any more. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it is interesting what you say about being developed in the Far East because most of the ranunculus that we grow um, as garden plants, we buy those funny little claw-shaped tubers and you plant the claws downwards, as you know, um, and they come in a lovely range of colours. Um, some you would like lots of and some you would like less of. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a gentleman who for over 20 years has been working on the hardiness. These are all tender, of course. Um, he's been working on the hardiness factor and, and Hardy's cottage plants, Rosie um, Hardy, she has a few of these hardy strains, which we bought last year. And they are quite amazing. They're much, much taller than the the normal Asiatic ranunculus, but they're absolutely fantastic. And we're going to be planting those in the garden for this coming season. They're lovely. And another plant I was just wondering whether Bridget's heard of is an anemone. And it's a bit like an anemone coronaria or coriaria, I think it is, um, a single flood. And it's the most amazing maroon color with a blue eye. This is one of the plants you should have as a, as a floral artist, I think, because it is, I mean, do have a look at it on the internet. You may still be able to get some corms. I planted some about three weeks ago and I noticed I put them in the greenhouse and they're just coming through now. Mm. It's a lovely, well, lovely plant. Funnily enough. Mab, gotcha. <laughs> Here's one one or two I prepared earlier. They are fantastic. <laughs> oh, they don't they look real, do they? Oh. What's the pink striped one? I'm going to have to, the label's in the greenhouse and I can't remember what it is. It's new to me this year and... Actually, this one's new to me this year. I've got the bride out in the garden. 
Um, And that just keeps coming up. And that's another one of those beautiful flowers. The more you cut, the more you get. At the moment, they are starting to flower right now, even the ones outside, but they're very short, but they'll get longer and longer and longer. These ones in the greenhouse, I mean, look, they're whoppers. Yeah. They're, They're just fantastic. So I will I will get you the the name of that one specifically. Isn't That's lovely, pretty yeah. though? Yeah. And then I've got these ones in the greenhouse too, which are oh. they've got lots of frills. Proper rah rah skirt one, that one. <laughs> I should yeah. have got the names, I'm sorry. <laughs> Your Rara skirt one, I, I remember pinching in on Instagram. You put that in one of your arrangements and I was there pinching in to try and see that <laughs> up close. It really is probably Rara skirty, but they're just so lovely. And they, you know, they last for a long time outside, but also they last well inside. They do do that opening and shutting thing, which I always think, gosh, you're wasting an awful lot of energy <laughs> doing this. <laughs> And then they stay open and you know they're doomed. They're not going to last much longer once they've the lost The other thing oil. is, of course, they're protecting themselves and their pollen overnight by closing up, aren't they? Oh, is uh, that what they're doing? Well, I, th- I suspect it probably is, yes. Oh, of course. Um, and they're waiting for Mr. M- Mr. B or Mrs. B or Wasp or, or Hoverfly or whoever to come along and do the pollinating. And then they think, well, I'm not shutting up anymore. I don't care. I've been done. Yes, I've been done. So I'll give you another... <laughs> Couple of days, tops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, you make sure you shut yourselves up tonight then. <laughs> and for people who are listening to the audio version and are desperate to know what the varieties are, always kind of within the week after we publish a podcast, we make sure we get the plant lists up onto Twitter and Instagram. So if you go and check out um, at Get Gardening Now, you'll be able to see it written on a list. This one everybody knows, surely. Oh. I oh, love yeah. its wiggly stem. Well, that's why I picked this one. You know, why do we want anything straight? <laughs> it's got to have that wonky, curvy, I'm already doing my moves thing going on. You know, I mean, that's already telling a story. I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen a fritillary that's quite so quirky. <laughs> yeah, I, it hasn't made it into an arrangement yet, but it will. Because, I mean... It is, like I say, it's already telling a story. You could just have that on its own and it's already doing its thing, which I love. <laughs> I love those. And then I've got this little dear little delicate. Now, I'm not quite sure Talia. how you say it. Yes. How did you say it? Talia. Talia. You don't say the H. No. No. That's what I always, conf- I that always confuses me. I'm, just, I'm never sure if it's Thalia or Talia. But isn't that beautiful? I also have Narcissus Talia, and I've also never known how to say it. So let's all just fall in line with Alan Gray and make it a silent H. Forever now, going forward, (laughs) it will be Talia. But isn't it lovely? And it's got that lovely soft scent. I picked one yesterday. It's gone over now. But um, three flower heads on one stalk. Just beautiful. Mm. It was funny when I moved in, I tried to put scented narcissi by my front, the front door of the house. Um, and then I didn't realise I would barely use the front door. It's one of those houses where we actually park by the back door. So we always go in and out of the back door and I put all my scented plants in this lovely sunny <laughs> spot by the front door and, and very rarely ever actually, well, obviously I smell them when I'm gardening, but the whole idea, that romantic idea of coming and going by these wonderful scented narcissi, never. never I wonder really how many of us really do that. All, I mean, I do that. I adorn the front door because the garden's open for the public, as you know, and I mean, I like to set a scene so that people can 
take inspiration away with them when they go. And I don't use the front door. I mean, <laughs> the back door. So the postman's the only chap that gets a regular benefit from it. <laughs> and you can be sure he probably doesn't care. No. <laughs> That is the good thing about having milk delivered. I get a milk delivery. It's a bit of a treat to myself. The other half doesn't care where his milk comes from, but I seem to prefer the milkman's milk. And uh, and it's the only good thing is that I, I then have to open the front door and bend down to where all the scented things are and sniff them as I get the milk in. <laughs> and is this in your dressing gown and slippers? Yes, it is. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm fairly certain I've weirded out at least one neighbour who's walked past as I'm getting my milk in in my dressing gown, sniffing the flowers. <laughs> now, Bridget, while we have you on the podcast, um, yes. we'll obviously get to FloMo and our, all our usual features, um, but you've already shown us the kind of wonderful things you are growing. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still laughing about that. I'm just going to say... <laughs> I was just going to say what you wear in bed, Thordis, and I was terrified because I thought you were going to say a smile. <laughs> Depends how cold it is, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, you of course, you could be in Marilyn Monroe and say Chanel Number no. Five. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure I have much in common with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> not least, I don't know. <laughs> A smile or Chanel Number no. Five is much better than Winsiette pajamas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably more my style, to be honest. Give me some flannelette. <laughs> uh, now, from my my bed attire, my dressing gowns to the flowers, let's return to flowers before all of our listeners run away. Um, <laughs> Bridget, you are you know known for these fantastic floral designs. They are so characterful and beautiful, and you just want to look at them for ages. Of course, lots of people would generally think of you as doing kind of wonderful kind of wedding type flowers. And I don't know how much of that you do anymore, but you can't escape the association. So we <laughs> wondered having you on the podcast, whether we could get some ideas for people now at the point where they can still be sewing things, if they wanted to grow either their own wedding flowers or their own cut flowers to bring into the house, would you have any top recommendations? I definitely have some top recommendations <laughs> and also some considerations. <laughs> Because I think if you're going to grow for a wedding, um, whether it's for your own or for a loved one, there's an awful lot of stress involved <laughs> in growing for a date. And I think that's the very first thing to consider is, do you really, really want that stress? And if you really do want to grow some, do you want to be responsible for growing it all is another consideration. And I would argue that you don't. <laughs> And you've also got to think about who you're growing it for. You know, if if you've got a, let's say it's your daughter, if she's got a very particular idea of what she wants to be carrying in her bouquet, can you guarantee with the weather and the seasons that you are going to be able to deliver that? So there's, a, there's just a huge responsibility. So putting all of that aside, assuming you've thought that all through... <laughs> And that is interesting because I remember talking to Anna Pavord, obviously, or Pavord, famous for her tulips, um, who grew tulips or tried to grow tulips for her daughter's wedding. And it was one of these freak years where she had so many different types to do early through to late. And they basically all flowered, I think, by the time the wedding yeah. happened. So you can bet Sod and his flipping law will come and get you if you're trying to grow something specific. 
Yeah, so I think I mean I really do think that's it. You need you need to have a couple who you're growing for who are pretty relaxed about, about the specific flowers they're going to get, and possibly even the colours. They might, they might just have to be happy with whatever is available. <laughs> and it's no good being um, wanting a peony and you're getting married in October. You know, so that's another thing to think about. I think um, that's, I, that's an absolute piece, wonderful piece of advice. Go into it with an open mind because. Um, you know, unless you're a professional setup and you're growing cut flowers on a professional basis, you can't really have a colour scheme. And no. I do think that in this day and age, it's rather ridiculous having a colour scheme. I mean, why not have, um, if you've got, if your bridesmaids are in, shall we say, bright mauve and you want bright mauve in the flowers, then have it. But don't speci specify that you want all bright mauve. Go with the flow and have other bits and pieces introduced. And it's a much nicer, much more relaxed and much more natural looking um idea i think and i think naturalism is the key i, I absolutely yeah. agree with you i mean if you can if you can be more relaxed about it and just think i will i will see what's happening in a two or three weeks leading up to it and go with that you're going to have flowers in their prime looking their best absolutely of the season and of the moment it can't be beaten and you'll have everything that you would want you'll have scent you'll have variety of shape and and color and and it would just be beautiful if you try to get really stressy and go everything has to be peach <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a disaster waiting to happen it really really is i mean i wouldn't do it for my own daughter i can tell you <laughs> that will not happen she'll have whatever's available and somebody else will be helping me as well i will not be doing it on my own and that's you know in all seriousness, I think if you're part of the family and there's so much stress involved with the wedding, you've really got to work out whether you do want that extra level, well, enormous level of pressure of, of delivering the decorations, basically. Like I can illustrate that point quite easily because a friend of mine who lives a couple of miles away, she had four daughters, well, she still has four daughters, and each, <laughs> each of their four weddings, we have a um, we together with a group of friends and there's probably eight to ten of us and this is doing the church there's nothing to do with bridesmaids flowers or anything else this is just doing the church and sometimes where the reception is going to be held as well um, flowers for the tables and things like that and it's this great collaboration where you all get together and you all rob each other's gardens and you know they they then go and rob their friends gardens and so you have these shooting breaks full of cut flowers, blossom, tree branches, and goodness knows what. Um, and we have made some pretty fantastic creations by doing that. And the only, I mean, I can remember doing, um, it was probably in May or June, there was foxgloves, um, which we gathered from people's gardens, both pink and white. Um, and the, the only thing in the whole arrangement, as, as apart from newly, uh, new, uh, newly sprigged, um, Viburnums and goodness knows what, I think there was the snowball viburnum in there and stuff like that, but armfuls of it, huge swathes of euphorbias, of course. And the only thing that was bought were those um, scented white lilies, you know, the ones that, that are quite tubular in shape. Mm -hmm. um, longiflorum, Lilium longiflorum. And that was the only thing that we bought. But I mean, the, the display was absolutely just stupendous. And, and to be able to do that, you've got to enjoy the collaboration and the you've got to make it fun and you've got to decide that this is part of the celebration of the wedding you are having yeah. fun all coming together making something and actually what you make at the end of the day is kind of neither here nor there it's the part of all being together and making having fun together all coming together and 
if you make something gorgeous, that's fabulous. And if it's only so-so, that doesn't matter either because you've all had great fun doing it, you know, and all the, you know, Aunt Joan put that, she do that, you know, but doesn't it look fabulous? I'll tell you what does matter. What does matter is what you bring. I mean, not just the flowers, but are you, are you going to make some biscuits? Are you going to make a cake? Are you going to do, are you going to do the salad? And who's going to, you know, who's going to make the pudding and all that sort of thing. And it really does become a very jolly social occasion. The best wedding I went to, they'd um, they got a friend who had an allotment. She got all of the other allotmenteers to let her go around picking flowers. And she they just had jam jars up these sort of trestle table type affairs. And so they were just full of cornflowers and, and the like. And it was just so country cottage and relaxed and, and carefree. And, and I think also on the food front, everybody had to make a salad. So everybody turned up with a different salad to put down the middle of the tables to go along with the food. And it was, it was lovely and you're right. Like, I think their expectations were also at the right level. You know, we're gonna go mm. with jam jars and posies and we can all do that. You know, we can arrange yes. that. We're not gonna try and be Bridget Girling and make some absolutely fantastic display that requires a lot of skill and expertise and experience. <laughs> Well, but but arguably what I do doesn't really, because I'm only trying to replicate the garden. What a lot of previous, I'm rather hoping after the last year we've had, people are going to be, they're going to rein in their expectations and be so delighted that they can be with their loved ones, their family and friends, that they will go back to remembering why they're getting married and having the celebration in the first place, which is to just announce to loved ones and friends, we want to be together forever because we love each other. It's as simple as that, isn't it? But yes. people seem to turn it into something so much more and get obsessed with everything being perfect and better than the last 10 weddings you just went to, bigger, better, more expensive looking. And I mean, that's one of the main reasons why I'm not doing weddings anymore. <laughs> I, I, I did get sort of turned off by the opulence of it all and this, this desire to just be bigger, better, more demanding about colour and shape. And, and, it, and I just thought, but let's just go with nature and let's just remember what's happening here. It's two people saying they love each other. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just that though, Bridget, is it? Because I think, you know, when you take yourself as a floral artist, um, you have a style mm. and they want, if people want you to do flowers, they want you to do flowers the way you do them mm. and not to come along and tell you, I want this, I want that, I want so-and-so. You know, if you yes. ask for a Bridget Girling wedding themed, that's what you'll get. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's like sometimes we, we know we have to have these, um, it's like um, if you go to Tom Stuart Smith, for instance, the garden designer, and you want a garden by Tom Stuart Smith, you, you will get a garden by Tom Stuart Smith. And people will probably look at it and be able to tell it's by Tom Stuart Smith. And I feel that that's how it should be. Mm. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. You get the best from somebody if you just say, I love what you do. Yes. I'm getting married in July. <laughs> I'm going to have 100 guests, two bridesmaids. Do what you like. Happy yeah. days. <laughs> You're going to get the best of somebody. And whether that's your friends and family helping you with the flowers and plants that they've got in their gardens or somebody you've employed to do it, that I do think having an open brief and just being relaxed about it is, yeah. is the way to go, which is a very long-winded way of starting to point people in the right direction of what they could plant. I'm sorry, I haven't <laughs> even mentioned that yet. <laughs> Obviously, it is a little bit dependent on time of year, but yes. um, 
But if people are going for kind of easy, attainable things, are there certain plants you've worked with that you think are good doers that you'd recommend? Well, I think you can't go wrong with sweet peas. Um, one, they're easy to germinate and they're easy to bung in the ground and watch grow. And the more you pick, the more you'll get. Um, so that I would say, so long as it's the right time of year, is an absolute winner. And you've got every color under the sun in a sweet pea and the scent. Um, I think one of my top tips with the sweet pea when you're picking it is to try and pick it um, for the day, for example, or, or with a little bit of the green as well. So you've got a longer trail because it lasts longer. And if you can pick it so that you've got various flowers still coming up the stem, if the one at the bottom goes, you've still got more that will come if you put it into an arrangement or something. So sweet peas are an absolute winner. I just don't think you can go wrong with a sweet pea. And then on top of that, I think if you're later on in the year, I would always advocate dahlias because they're just, again, you can't go wrong. The more you pick, the more you get. And I think that's another thing is if, if you've got that specific date, what you want is a bit of a window, a wide window where you could get something rather than a one hit wonder like a tulip, <laughs> <laughs> which is always going to be very stressy. <laughs> yes. You know, and if you really want a foxglove, but things have come on a bit too early, at least with a foxglove, you've got a chance if you've got good timing of cutting out that middle growing stem and letting the side shoots do their thing. So there are things you can do, but it is being aware of the plant you're growing and how it grows and how long that window of flowering will be available to you. So Cosmos, for example, the more you pick, the more you'll get. Lovely and easy to self-sow, um, to sow. Um, those are the kinds of things I'd be looking for. Really, really easy things that you haven't got to worry about too much. There's so many plants that you can actually manipulate to flower as and when you want them, though, I think. Um, and this has reminded me what you just said, Bridget, of something that Christopher Lloyd said many, many years ago. And he said, prune your buddlier to when you are going on holiday. So if you're... <laughs> Well, it's, it's simple, you see. The harder you prune the, your badly, the, the bigger the growth it will, the longer the growth will be. Um, and, you know, if you, if, you're, if you want it to flower particularly late, prune it late and prune it again. So you prune it twice. Hmm. So, you, that, so you're stopping it. So you're causing it to take another three weeks before it comes into flower. So if you're going in August and you don't want the flower, thing to flower until September when you, we're back from your holiday, then do that with it. It's quite... Yes. It's, interesting to, to to study that and I love the tip about taking the tips out of foxgloves mm. because that is just so true and it was the same with delphiniums as well you know take take out that growing tip and let the yeah. side shoot and actually unless you're going to do a great big urn why do you want a 10-foot spire <laughs> you don't. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so take out that tip and get lots of lovely side shoots which will still be lovely and long but are usable and if you've got Something an old else, if you've got an autumn wedding, you sow your delphiniums in February and you prick them out into a seed tray, pot them individually and put them out in the garden and they won't flower until September. Mm. And you know, you probably can't tell what you're going to get, but I mean, you'll get that lovely mixture. All delphiniums seem to go together to me because they're all in the, the bluey, mauvey, uh, whitey, creamy spectrum. Um, and some have black eyes and some don't and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it, it's a lovely way of doing it, I think. No, I just thought of something else that you can nip out, a plant that you can nip out. Tall, tall growing florist antirhinums, which we probably, you see them on sale at this time of year, horribly forced. 
Um, and if you nip the, the flower bud out of those and they will side branch and give you equally good, well, not quite as long, but equally good stems for cutting and you'll get more of them. Yes. And something else that's fabulous for putting on a great show. And actually, if you only use this down a table in big tall vases, you wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't want anything else. Amy. I mean, yeah. just the most incredible plant makes its own shapes. It's wafty and traily and just full of drama. Why would you need anything else? I could just imagine a long table full of vases of Amy and it would just look stunning. Or cow parsley, go and pick a whole <laughs> wheelbarrow full of cow parsley. You know, you just, it's, if you're prepared to be relaxed and just go with the flow and go with what the season is just giving you in vast amounts you can't go wrong and as you say alan sometimes things that are all of the same family or in the same season they just work together anyway they you know you've got to overthink it they do my most famous trick with it with an umbrella for here was to use parsnips in the flower garden i copied cleve west from uh, chelsea flower show who did it and the great and the good were looking at this thing saying well it's some kind of umbrella for i don't know and it was a jolly old parsnip. It was a jolly old parsnip. And so all my friends went and bought parsnip seed. I nipped to the farm shop and bought parsnips and planted them. And they just went straight <laughs> up the flower. And the head, <laughs> the head and the flower of a parsnip is a lovely limey yellow more than anything, I think. And it, it, it's a beautiful thing in the garden. And if, if you remove it from the vegetable garden and plonk it into the flower garden, it takes a whole new, a whole new sort of feeling. And, and people, they look at it and they wonder. Mm. One little tip. And I think another thing that people should think about for weddings, if they're going to try and do it themselves, is to think about using plants as well. Plants that can then go into the garden in memory of that wedding forever, whether it's the couple's garden or the parent's garden or the aunt's garden, or just give them to guests at the end, say, take them. You know, that it's something that's reusable rather than just being a one hit wonder that, you know, gets hopefully put on the compost heap. It's something that can be. <laughs> can be there and be remembered as well you know if it's if you're having a uh the the ceremony have apple trees little apple trees crab apple trees or something just be, to get married next to or to go into the church with or whatever and then put them in the garden just such a lovely thing to remember the whole day with and i think alan you were going to say with the parsnip that if you uh, let it go to seed you'll have parsnips forever so that would certainly be a way of remembering the yeah. wedding <laughs> I'm not sure that you bless me for 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 not saying that um, because you, you know parsnips they can be very invasive but I do like the idea of little apple trees I have to say I think that's rather wonderful it's a bit like you know my grandmother she gave certain people when they left the family and they had their first home she gave them a peony I mean I've got grandma 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 Gray's peony in my garden now um, it's nothing very special, but it's just something that it's there, it's tangible, and it reminds me of her. And good, I don't know how many years she's been dead. I mean, you know, it's just that lovely reminder, and it's yes, there. Yes, it's a memory. Every time it blooms, you can think yeah. of her, which is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. The gift of plants. Exactly. Uh, we're going to run out of time, um, and oh, the, no. the, the secret behind the scenes is we've already run out of time once. Um <laughs> We're having so much fun. But what we must do before we run out of time is share some Flomo, not least because the more the season kicks on, the more I am drowning in Flomo. And for anyone who doesn't know this term, I'm sure you know the feeling that 
fear of missing out you get about a plant that you desperately want to grow but don't have yet. Uh, Bridget, as our guest, what is your Flomo? What would you like to go with first? Well, I have tried to grow it and failed miserably. And I've noticed people have got them flowering. And I'm not, I'm, again, I'm very unconfident with saying these things, but Akibia quinta. Quinata. Chocolate vine. Yes. I saw one today. I was walking around Cambridge and I stopped and said, this is a sign that I'm supposed to grow this. I've always wanted to, but um, one of you describe it because it's a fabulous plant. Well, it, it's, it is apparently, if you can grow it, which I, I couldn't, I only tried once, I will try again. It can be quite rampant and it's, you need to control it, but it's a climber and it scrambles through it. And, but this time of year, I think April, May, it has these beautiful vanilla-y smelling, well, I never got to smell them. <laughs> so no, don't you're actually. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Chocolate coloured flowers. Flowers. Yeah. Yes. And it just looks beautiful. There's also a variety of with cream flowers as well. Um, exactly the same, but just cre cream flowers. And they are, um, they are, I don't know, they're, they're an underrated plant, I think. It's a plant that people tend to grow towards rather than have it on their A-list from day one, shall I say, because it does have a certain sort of subtlety to it. <clears throat> but I agree with you, I think they're lovely plants. Yeah. Have you got one? Yeah. I knew you would. Of has. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading that it shouldn't be on an east-facing uh, part of the, your garden because it, it doesn't do well if it's been a cool night and then you've got sunlight on it, that's going to burn the flowers. So, yeah, I mean, that, that can be true. But if you've got sufficient shelter around, I mean, I wouldn't worry about it. Mine grows on the wall that faces northeast, in actual fact. And because it's got plenty of, um, I mean, plenty of shelter, it's on the wall next to my potting shed. Um, and it has a bank of pyrochanticleer, which is the um, ornamental pear, about 30 or 40 feet away. And they, that, they give it enough shelter. So prevailing mm. wind thing. So, you know, but it really depends on how much shelter you have. Mm. Well, I am going to achieve that plant if it kills me. <laughs> Now, FOMO-wise, I've got loads, but predominantly today, everybody seems to be posting photos of epimediums I want to grow. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's for a long time now I've wanted to grow orange Kernigan, orange queen, because I love orange and it looks gorgeous. Jimmy Blake posted a photo of royal purple, which looked amazing. But then Glasshouse Plantsman on Instagram posted one called Domino saying, if you only grow one epimedia, make it this one, which did sound like quite the recommendation. So I don't know if you two uh, have any epimediums you hold particularly close to your heart, but I definitely need more epimediums in my life. That's where my FLOMO is at. Well, I have, yes, I hold an enormous number of epimediums close to my heart, far too many to mention, but in actual fact, as a word of advice, I would go, I would say to people, when, they, when you're looking through a list of epimediums, and there are a hell of a lot, go for, go for perhaps for the ones that are not the cheapest and the ones that have an award of garden merit, AGM after the name, because I think that you will find that they are the best doers. Um, and I'm gradually getting into, into the fact that I, I'm getting more and more of them um, because I'm enhancing my woodland sort of area. And to go with that, my flow mode this week is um, scented rhododendron. Ooh. There's two sorts of rhododendrons I want to grow. And one of them is um, <clears throat> it has cinnamon colored stems and it has tiny leaves, a bit like a camellia, but alas, not glossy. 
and the <clears throat> the flowers they are bell shaped and they hang in bunches of bells and I I've, I've had them in orange and pink alas I've lost them but I think it's probably because I'm too dry where I am but this area that I'm uh, working on at the moment could is crying out for one I've got irrigation on it as well which will help and the other thing that I've always loved is I don't, don't know whether you remember visiting friends and relatives years ago and the, I mean if you if you had relatives that were fairly well off they had a big country house and they'd normally have a potted rhododendron in the house especially in spring and they were w normally white flowers and beautifully scented well you couldn't grow them outside years and years ago but today you can so I think one is Lady Alice Fitzwilliam I seem to remember um, but that's something like that I would like to try in this really sheltered place. Lots of overhead cover from magnolias and from, and from palm trees. So it's quite an exotic area, but I just think that that would help trap the scent, which is important in the garden, I think. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It does, doesn't it? Well, what a host of Flomo. We've got climbers, <laughs> we've got scent, we've got wonderful little epimediums. That's quite a good good place to leave the podcast also if you're watching the video version alan's going to lose his entire body in a moment we <laughs> keep losing bits of his shoulders to the sunlight I sit, i'm in my morning room and i would sit the other side of the table the next time we do this because i've got to be aware that the sun in the afternoon comes through this window which faces west you see so you've only got one shoulder at the moment before oh, anyone thinks you're being eaten by a brigamantia <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I was so busy today, I had to split myself in half. <laughs> the other half's still in the garden. That's how you get so much done. <laughs> Bridget, it's been such a treat. It's always wonderful having you on the podcast. Oh, it's, it's just wonderful to be here. Thank oh, you so good much for having cultural me. Chat. And before we let you go, how do people find your podcast? Oh, it's called The Restless Creatives Podcast. And we're on any podcast provider you may care to use and we're also on youtube so you can watch us <laughs> yes and they and can find the rest as creatives well. on instagram and follow yes. all your posts and uh, listen to all your wonderful guests thank you thank you and we will catch up i'm sure before too long i'm off to have a cup of tea <laughs> me too <laughs> <Good> for you <laughs> happy gardening everybody happy gardening bye bye, -bye. hey Fordies here just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs>